Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I just have a few announcements to kick off this morning. So good to see you. Everyone doing good? Take the quiet as a yes. Everyone is doing awesome. Um, so uh, uh, <clears throat> if you were in the cars, welcome. You can turn to 88.3. If you don't have that on, uh, you'll get us on that feed. And I feel like this next thing is, I feel like it's something from Huckleberry Finn, but um, our welcome station is over by the tree. I feel like that's something you say from like 19, I don't know, 22 or something. But the welcome station is by the tree, and that is uh, where you can catch some information over there. Uh, also, um, if you are new, we're so glad that you're here with us, we're, and, and maybe even online. Um, there is a number, if you're here, on the tree right here that you can text, and just text the word welcome, and we'd love to connect with you this week. Pastor Sean or someone else from our church will be in touch with you just to, to make contact and just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, Coming up in just a couple weeks, we have a women's event, and that is on August 12th. It's at 7 p.m. So if you are a woman and you love to be together, that's going to be a great opportunity to come out. There will be some worship. There's going to be a few speakers there uh, talking on different topics, and uh, um, you're going to want to be there. You're going to want to spend time with the ladies at the church, reconnect after maybe this long season of being apart. Uh, and uh, so check that out, August 12th, 7 p.m. We're going to be right here on the lawn. I should say that. So it's going to be right here in this space. Um, <clears throat> Next thing, if as things are progressing with, uh, with, with COVID and coronavirus, continue to check our website for updates and also for events that are coming up. That's a great space to catch things that are going on. Uh, and uh, so just go to our website, which is thefreshwater.church, or sorry, dot, dot org. Did I say that right? Beth, help. Yep. Yes. Sure. Church. We'll say that. Just Google the Freshwater Church, all right, Wadsworth, and you'll hit it. All right, um, last thing that we're going to do this morning just to kick off is the Garage Ministry is a ministry in town that we uh, support, and what they do is they're right downtown and they serve at-risk teens or fringe, they're called fringe teens, and um, we just want to take some time to pray for that ministry as they continue to do this through this time. Lori Beal, who goes to our church, has been, uh, she's, she runs that ministry and she's been part of uh, getting lunches for some of those families throughout this whole time, and they, they have a bunch of other ministries that go on out through there. So we're going to pray for a couple of things, I'm just going to read them for and then we'll pray through these. Uh, first, we want to pray for teens who are facing isolation while during this season. So maybe they're stuck more at home or they're stuck more away from people that uh, love them and care for them. And uh, so we just want to pray for them during this time that God and his Holy Spirit would meet with them during during this time. And then the next thing is also praying for opportunities to connect with teens. It, it makes it harder and harder during this time of COVID-19 to connect for that ministry with these teens, just because everyone's separated for different reasons. And so just praying that, that God would open doors for the ministry to connect. So we're going to pray for that, and then uh, we're going to enter into some worship. God, we, we uh, praise you, Lord, for you, the skies and the heavens that are the handiwork of you. Lord, we praise you uh, just for your trees, and the power that we see in that, that you plant them and you root them. And then you grow them up. And Lord, the grass of the field that you made and that you put in. And the flowers. And the insects and all these different things, Lord, that are by your hand, Lord. We just look around and we praise you. The sun and the moon and the stars. All that you have made, Lord, we worship and praise you for these things. And God, just like you see those things and created those things, you see us intimately, you know, and have counted every hair on our head, and we worship you for that, Lord, that you're personal to us and you're near to us. And Lord, we um, just ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak and move in each of us. God, we need your voice. We long and desire for your voice. And Lord, we are um, just wanting to lift up the garage ministry in town. Lord, you see every student that's walked through those doors, and you see Lori and the, the resources that are needed there, Lord, whether it's energy and strength or whether it's physical resources. And God, we ask that you would provide for them. And we pray specifically these requests that Lori has asked, that you would make a way for connection with the teens, that you would open doors and opportunities for her and other people to connect with them. And Lord, that you would keep in, in the middle of what might feel like isolation for these teens, that you would keep reaching out to them by your Holy Spirit, that you would continue just to woo them. And Lord, reach out in their life that you would, even in the midst of me, what may feel like turmoil at home or somewhere else, that you would give peace, Lord, that you would give joy, that you would give the fruit of your spirit there. And God, we, we turn our attention to you this morning, the maker of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and we worship you, Lord. Be our provider this morning. Lord, speak your voice into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Why don't you stand up with us? 
want to read Psalm 33 to start this morning of worship. This is our call to worship. It says this, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Why don't we just try that this morning? It might, might get us going in praise for him. Maybe on the count of three, we just shout for joy. We shout praise to him. You can shout woo or whatever you want to shout. Here we go. One, two, three. The joy of the Lord, let it fill this place. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten, ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. God loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And blessed is the nation or the people whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Let's hear this word from the Lord this morning. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. That means he sees us this morning. And from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. And he who fashions the hearts of them all, he observes their deeds. And the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. But behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. And this is our declaration this morning. Our soul waits for the Lord. Let's say that together. Our soul waits for the Lord. Let's say it one more time. Our soul waits for the Lord this morning. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. God, let your steadfast love, O oh Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Let's worship together.
sing this. Who can stop our God, Lord of heaven and earth? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? We declare that. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the
say this we kicked off this morning reading from psalm 33 and uh, in the time that i was away one morning i was reading through psalm 33 and um just honestly i was feeling pretty anxious about a lot of stuff you get on social media you look at the news and um and then just things in life in general and i felt a lot of anxiety and i i was frustrated with myself and wasn't sure why um and i read through psalm 33 and i got to verse 5 and it it said the the earth is full of the steadfast love of the lord and and i thought God, how can that be? Like, I just, I don't see that. I don't see your love anywhere here. It just seems like chaos. And, and that's just, just honest, just me being honest. And, um, and I felt like God throughout that day and the rest of the week began to walk me through how I see his love all over the place. And I want to take you to one place that, that I see it. Um, and it's, it's a familiar verse in Matthew 6. Um, it says this. is Christ speaking, and I think he's speaking directly to us this morning. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. And I read that line, and when I read that line, I thought, Christ is showing us right now where his steadfast love is. He's saying, even in the smallest things, my steadfast love is there. And he says, look at the birds of the air. Just look at them right now. Like, just look at them flying around. They neither sow nor reap or gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are not, are not you more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your, his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. And Christ is saying, just look. Like, just look around right now and you see the flowers of the field. And I feed them. They grow. So he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I love that Christ uses the, the term for, for God there, Heavenly Father, because I think this is such an intimate passage. It's like he's looking at us and he's saying, oh, little ones, like if you would just see, if you would look around and just see, my, my love fills this entire earth. If you were just to look around at the trees and at nature and at birds and at grass and at flowers, my love is filling that because in every way I'm providing, in every way I've provided for them. And now I look at you and you're so much more valuable than them. Would I not provide for you? Would I not care for you? And I remember reading that and just weeping before God because, because it just felt like it just felt like God was saying, you don't think that the earth is full of my love? Just look at the smallest pieces. And now look at the greater pieces. Look throughout the nations. And my love is covering the earth. My love is everywhere. And out of that, I want to sing this, this um, line, this chorus. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love.
And my feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. One more time. And my feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My feet doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Christ, we just praise you for the invitation to not be anxious, to not worry, and just to rest where your yoke is easy and your burden is light. There's praise here, there's praise here where the burden is lifted and where the anxiety is gone because you are in control, because you are over all things, because you are a provider and a giver of all good gifts. Lord, there's praise here. How good have you been to us? When we look around or when we open our ear and we hear and we see, how good have you been to this world that your steadfast love covers this place, nourishes and flourishes this place. How wonderful are you, God? How perfect in your, in your providing and in your gifts are you, God? We honor you for all those things. We sing praise to you, Lord. And Lord, by your power, just by your spirit, would you release us from fear? Would you release us from anxiety? We know that in fear we make decisions that dishonor you, but in faith, Lord, in faith, perfect love casts out fear. So, Lord, would you, the truths, would you, by your spirit, lead us, have your way in us, Lord, show your power in us, in your name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, this morning we have the gift of one of our elders teaching for us, so let's, uh, let's welcome uh, Norm Pond, Reverend, the Reverend Norm Pond. <laughs> Let's welcome him this morning. He's going to come up and join us and bring the word for us. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. Uh, thankful to be with you guys all this morning again. Thankful for this awning that uh, Sean brought out that's shading me a little bit. It's great. Um, I'm excited to be here for a second week. I'm going to be diving back into this new series we've started on the priesthood of all believers. So if you were here last week, or if you weren't, what we did was we kicked off a new series on the priesthood of all believers. And what we're doing with that series is we're going to walk through what it looks like to be part of the priesthood, what your role is, and how we can empower you and uh, equip you to do that. And last week, what we did was we tried to set this foundation of a priesthood to get a good understanding of what it means. And what we really did was we spent a lot of time talking about words and their meanings, and we challenged a lot of you with, how do you define church? We talked about how you define church and to try to paint that picture. And the reason I did that was, if you can understand what the church is, you can have a greater understanding for what your role is in the church. And that kind of kicked off and set up this series, this message of the priesthood. And so today, with the second message in this series, what we're going to do is we're actually going to sit on this subject of the priesthood. We're going to dive into the history and what it looks like for the priests, kind of when the priesthood was established in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the transition and what happened with the priesthood when Jesus came. And then we're going to look at what that means in application of our lives today. So that's today's message. And I want to reread uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This theme of the priesthood of all believers, really, uh, it, it's... It has kind of a vein or a thread throughout the whole New Testament, but we kind of see it articulated most in 1 Peter chapter 2. And it says in verse 9 here, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a royal priesthood. So what is the priesthood? Well, if we go back in our scriptures, we start way back in the beginning of the Old Testament, the term priest actually gets ascribed to a, a couple men in, in the Old Testament. And we see that role of priest a couple times. But this idea of a priesthood or a group of priests, actually, we see it kind of most prominently when this guy named Aaron and his sons get called to be priests. So Aaron's there with Moses after the exodus from Egypt, and God calls him and his sons to this role that they will be priests to God in his service. And what's significant about Aaron and his sons <clears throat> is that they actually come from a line or out of a tribe of Levi. Okay? Why that's significant is Levi, he was one of the sons of Jacob. So in our Old Testament, we, we see Jacob had 12 sons. Levi was one of those 12 sons. And those 12 sons and their descendants were going to be given an inheritance, a promised inheritance of land. So Levi's one of those 12 sons. And as we move forward in the story, after, uh, after Aaron and his sons are called priests, we see the, the tribes about to come into this land of their inheritance, into this land that was promised to them. Okay? So these 12 tribes are going into the land that was promised to them as inheritance. And we're going down, and Joshua at this point in the story is getting ready to give out that inheritance of land from God that Moses had declared earlier. And, and we see tribe after tribe get their inheritance of land. And then it comes to the Levites, the tribe of Levi, right, who were serving as priests. And in Joshua chapter 18, verse 7, it comes to the Levites and it says, The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. The Levites have no portion among you, the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Now, from a worldly perspective, if you're looking at this and you've got, you know, 11 brothers and sisters with you and they all get the stuff, the land, the value, and you get to be a priesthood and service, that seems like a pretty raw deal from the world's perspective. That seems like a pretty tough pill to swallow. To understand this a little better, kids out there, right? Some of these services are hard to kind of keep your kids' attention, but kids out there, you can help me a little bit with this one, okay? To understand the priesthood and what this was like with the inheritance, imagine your parents are about to give out all their stuff to you and your brothers and sisters. So they're going to give away everything. They're going to give away the house and the cars, your toys, TVs, PlayStation, the whole deal, right? Going to give away your stuff. And they start coming down to your brothers and sisters, kids, and they give some of the stuff to your brother, and they give some of your stuff to your sister, and that's theirs and their inheritance, their portion. And so they're going through your brothers and sisters and giving away all the stuff. And then they get to you, and they say, your portion of the inheritance is actually just to live with your brothers and sisters and to serve them the rest of your life. That's your portion. That sounds like a bad deal, doesn't it, kids? Yeah, I see some knobs over here. Yeah, it's a terrible deal. That's what this is like. And not only do you not get any of the stuff, right, that's handed out, and you get this role of service that you have to live with them, but here's some of the other things you got to do. As priests in service and living with your brothers and sisters, you have to, you've got to spend a lot of time reading. You've got to spend a lot of time listening because you're going to be the ones responsible to teach your brothers and sisters. So you don't get to go out and do all the fun stuff. You've got to read and listen and teach. And then you're also responsible for maintaining the temple within their lands and houses. So you've got to clean stuff up all the time. That's part of your job in this. They get all the stuff. You get to maintain and clean their house. And then on top of all of it, kind of the biggest one, kids, is what this looks like is anytime your brothers and sisters do bad stuff, anytime they sin... You're responsible for taking their offering of stuff to cover their sins and make sure that they've done it right in giving it over to God. So not only did you not get the stuff, not only do you have to live with them and maintain things, but you also have to take care of stuff every time they went and did something wrong. Does it sound like a good deal or a bad deal? Yeah, it sounds like it might be, from the worldly perspective, a bad deal. 
But here's the thing about this priesthood and this role. While we didn't get what the world would call the stuff, the priest didn't get the stuff, here's what their portion was. Their portion was God. The priests, the tribe of Levi, got God because they were the only ones who had access to God. They were the only ones God was sending his blessings through, communicating with God. They were the ones that could stand in his presence. In fact, amongst all of the Levites, all of the priests, there was one guy who was known. He had this title of high priest. So there was one guy who was the high priest of all the priests, and he had this role where once a year, he could, on the Day of Atonement, he could stand in the Holy of Holies, in the innermost place of the temple, in the presence of God. Nobody else from any of the other tribes could do that. It was a role and a responsibility. It was a place of dignity for the Levites, for those priests. And they served that role for a long time, many years. In fact, as the tribes moved and changed, lands changed, wars happened, uh, some of them were captured, the, the priests were responsible for maintaining that role. And it was a role of responsibility, and it was a role of dignity. And it was a role for God. And then something happens, and then Jesus, Jesus comes. This role still exists, and Jesus comes. And Jesus lives among us, teaches us, dies on the cross for our sins, and is raised from the dead. And what happens in Jesus doing that, what happens in Jesus doing that is he got rid of, expired the old covenant of the rules and the laws between God's people and him, and brought forth a new covenant right? Brought forth a new covenant with him, and he actually took the place of the high priest. No longer do we need a high priest amongst men and amongst this tribe to stand before God and us for our sins, because Jesus did it once and for all. So Jesus is now the high priest, the only high priest we need forever. He takes on that role. And what also happens in this, and Jesus standing there dying for our sins and taking on this role, is he creates a way for salvation for us through him. We now have our identity in Jesus. That's what's going on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when he talks about the priesthood. He is tying, Peter's tying our identity and who we are as Christians with who Jesus is. He's tying together that role that Jesus has as priest with us so we share in that priesthood. Now, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy with you guys here for a little bit because I find it fascinating if we look at how the church handled this new role of priesthood. <clears throat> you see, this change, while we sit here so many years later, right, we sit here 2,000 years later from this, and we look at it, and it doesn't seem that unique. This was wildly unique. This was radical. This was even dangerous to a certain extent. You have to remember, <clears throat> the priests were looked at with great dignity and respect. It was a role that was just isolated to him. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, now we all who are Christians share in that role. We are all priests which means we all now have access to God. We all have access to his word and his truth and his teachings. We can all pray directly to God, communicate to God, and get blessings directly. It's radical. And when I look at the early church to find this, right, what does the early church do with such a radical teaching? I think it's interesting. Because the early church, if you know anything about the early church, they were trying to establish themselves they were trying to reach as many people as they could with the new message of Jesus Christ. They were trying to just survive through persecution, right? And while we have our Bibles today, as the church is established, not everybody has a Bible. Not everybody can read, right? Not if, the, if they had one. Nor do we have time to just sit there and go word after word, page after page through it. So what the early church would do was try to make sure that the most important messages from Scripture and the Gospel got shared to people. Over and over again, the most important message were what were taught, were what were communicated. The most important things that people should know about Jesus and about living the Christian life was what was brought over and over again to make sure they were right. And so we'd see messages of sin and salvation 
and who Jesus was and his divinity and his humanity. They'd be communicated over and over again. We had councils that came together just to make sure we got it right. But what's interesting is, if you look through the first 500 years of the church, this message of the priesthood of all believers has footprints all over it, all over it. And it was spoke boldly. It was spoke boldly to say, no, 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 we all are part of the priesthood. We all have that same dignity that we share in. They didn't back away from it. They didn't hide that one away because it was too dangerous. I want to read you a couple here. These are, uh, these are some early church fathers. Uh, my, my good friend Patrick Callahan said the old dead guys. Um, these, Justin Martyr, second century, real early church father says this. He proclaims that we, we the people, are the true high priestly race of God. As even God himself will bear witness. There's these other two guys, Origen and Clement. They wrote a lot of letters to the church. And over and over again, they proclaimed that the priesthood of all believers was a consecration of Christians to God. Tying us, being consecrated people to God, with our role in this priesthood. Two more for you. Gregory the Great, he tied the old law and the new. He said, the, in the old law, the priesthood was a hidden figure. Right? They, were, they were an isolated group, a hidden figure that only they knew and could see God and do these things. And he said, in the old law, the priesthood was a hidden figure. But with Jesus, he has removed the veil and brought that figure of the priesthood into the open and given it to all. It's brought into the open so we can all see the dignity and what happens in that role. Not only can we see it, but it's been given to all of us through Jesus. And lastly, this guy, I think he's got, he's got like three names. I love it. It's either St. Leo, Leo the Great, or Leo the Doctor of the Church, right? It's pretty cool, three names. Um, but he says this, right, in the 5th century, Leo says this, For all who are regenerated in Christ are made kings by the sign of the cross. They are consecrated priests by the Holy Spirit, so that beyond the special service of ministry as priests, all spiritual Christians know that they are a royal race and sharers in the office of priesthood. And here's what I love. He says it this way. He summarizes it. He says, we are all kings and priests, all of us. And he says, because what is more king-like than to find yourself as the ruler over your own body when you've surrendered your soul to God? And what is more priestly than to promise the Lord your pure conscience and offer him as loved and unblemished victims on the altar of your own heart. I love that. Leo steps out and says that we are all priests and kings, not because of how this world or the previous Old Testament or anything defined these things. We are all kings because there's nothing more kingly than offering your body to God. There's nothing more priestly than offering him your heart. It's something we all share in. And I love looking at the early church because of how passionate they were about preaching this message. Because they wanted to show each and every Christian that they owned this role, this responsibility, <clears throat> and that it was a role of dignity that each of us share. The same message, that zeal, if you, if you, the church for the first 500 years had its footprints all over. You fast forward a thousand years past that into the Reformation. We get guys we're familiar with, Calvin and Luther and these guys, and they pick up the same thing, and they shout the message that we all share in that role, that dignity of the priesthood. But what they do is they actually take it and expand it a little further. They kind of build on Augustine and his message. They say, as part of this priesthood, we all, yes, we have access to God, and we all share in that role and dignity, but here's what we should do as priests. And he goes into the 1 Corinthians, it talks about giftings, and he says, we all have been gifted by God. We all share offices as Christians, and we should use that gifting and those offices to serve God and one another. That's how we live a life as a priest. Now, what we need to understand in this is that 
by saying that we are all part of a priesthood, let me be clear, that doesn't mean that those who serve in roles as pastors and deacons and elders and other leadership positions, that doesn't lower the bar for them or say that that's any, any less of a service now because we're all part of the priesthood. Now, those are ordained roles by God. And the other thing it doesn't do, when you hear that you're all part of the priesthood, let's be clear, that doesn't mean that, well, now everybody has to be a church worker, right? Please understand that's not the message that he's giving, that, well, you're part of the priesthood, you better be a church worker, and I want to see you here on Sunday. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that as part of the priesthood, every work, every service is now seen as holy to God. That's what the priesthood means. Every work, no matter what it is, is seen as holy service to God. You know, I look at this, and um, to understand this a little better, I've got uh, my, my dad. He uh, lived here. Uh, sorry, lived. He worked in Wadsworth his whole life as a trash man. I've got my brother-in-law, who's here today. Um, who he's an electrician and he's a farmer. I got my sister who's here today and she uh, supports her, that family and she's taking any job she can get. Others of us out there, engineers, doctors, right? Lawyers, pastors, roles that this world would look at and say, ah, that's such a much greater service because we pay it more or we admire it more, we show it more dignity. But when it comes to God, and us all being part of the priesthood, it doesn't matter what type of service you're doing. That's not what God cares about. God doesn't rate the amount of holiness or the amount of dignity your service gets based on the type of job or service you're doing. God rates it based on how you offer it. Are you offering that service as doctor to God with a sacrificial heart? There, there's, no, there's, there's no hierarchy in this to God. God doesn't look at it and say, oh, well, Norm's up here, and he's giving a message to everybody, so that service is greater than his brother-in-law sowing seed in the field. It's not the way God looks at it. God looks at it and says, are you offering your service, whatever it is, with your heart sacrificed to me? doesn't matter if you're a farmer or a trash man, you're a mom working at home, a dad working at home, you're a pastor or a doctor. Or whatever your service is, are you offering it to God with a sacrificial heart? Because that's what we're called to as part of the priesthood. And Peter actually, if you go a little bit earlier in chapter 2, explains that to us. He says here in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, You yourselves are living stones being built on a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He explains what it is to be the priesthood. We should be offering ourselves and our service as spiritual sacrifices to God. And that's kind of what I want to, that's where I want to go with the rest of this, this message, is to talk about that service that we offer as part of the priesthood that God looks at, that sacrifice. What does it mean to live a sacrificial life offering spiritual sacrifices to God? Because that's the priesthood. If we hear the word sacrifice, I think a lot of us, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, Christian, non-Christian, in this world, at a church, if you hear sacrifice, there's certain things that we all understand. If you give up some of your stuff, if you give up some of your money, if you give up some of your time, you lose your job, the world, you don't have to be a Christian, understands that, yeah, that's sacrifice, right? That's sacrifice. A lot of us, we look at it as though we, we don't take the job or we, we give up certain things in our life for our kids so they can go play certain things or do certain sports, and that's a sacrifice we offer. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. But I want to talk about a few things that maybe we haven't understood as sacrifices to help us reflect on what this priesthood is. The first one is the idea of obedience. Have you ever thought of obedience as being a sacrifice? And have you ever thought about what obedience looks like in your life? We use this big word uh, as Christians, we use this big word sanctification, and it's this process of which we live our life after we're justified. It's what we do to make ourselves more holy and look like Jesus. It's the rest of our life that we work through as Christians. And really what it is, is trying to live a life of obedience. Kids, if you're out there and you want to know what this looks like, 
what obedience looks like as a sacrifice, kids. It's when you have a choice between two things, and on one side, you know Jesus is on that side, and that's the side, and that's the decision Jesus would have you take, and on the other side is not. And maybe this other side is the one you want, but when you have a decision, you have a choice to make, kids, and you know which side's Jesus on, choosing that side is an act of obedience. And that's sacrifice. And I think in our lives, maybe we, we, we get uh, blinded by how much a life of obedience is smiled on by God. Every day you make choices and decisions. Are you weighing whether or not you're making the decision that God would have you make? Because that's the life of sacrifice and obedience. How about prayer and worship? Have you thought about prayer and worship as sacrifice? We all sang up here, and it was great. Awesome job, team. I mean, unbelievable. Have you ever thought about your prayer and worship as being a sacrifice? Have you ever thought about praying sacrificially? Have you ever thought about getting up to sing and worship God or worshiping anything you do, but doing it sacrificially and what that looks like? Sometimes we pray because we know we need to pray when we get up or go to sleep or say meals, you know, a blessing before a meal. Has it become just a routine to you? Or when you pray, have you thought about doing it sacrificially? Giving yourself in that prayer to God. Giving yourself in your worship to God. Because that is also a life of sacrifice. Three more for you. Ministry. Do you support ministry as part of your life of sacrifice? I think sometimes, there's a lot of us. I look around here, I mean, I'll bet the majority of us out here support ministries one way or another. You're working children's, youth, you're, you're an usher, you're out in the parking lot, you're doing something in the church to support ministry. And I'll challenge you today, when we look at ministry and sacrifice, what we have a tendency to do in this world today in our culture is we use this term volunteer as though we are going to volunteer for ministry. We are going to volunteer for evangelism. We are going to volunteer to do something. And what that word has done is it's taken some of the emphasis away from service. It's taken some of, because if you volunteer, there's not as much commitment to volunteering because, well, I was just volunteering, I can back away. But sacrifice in ministry is all about service. Right? So when you volunteer for ministry, when you support a ministry, think about it next time. When you pray about what ministry you're going to support, think about it as, am I willing to offer sacrificial service to that ministry? Am I willing to give myself to that service in that ministry, or am I just volunteering? And which side would God have you choose for obedience? The last two your family life, your friends, and your work. Have you thought about your family life, what you do when you leave this church building is sacrifice? Because God calls us over and over again to live sacrificially with our families, to lead sacrificially with our families. Are you spending time with your families talking about Jesus? Are you spending time in your families teaching about Jesus? Are you spending time with your friends? Are you willing to make the sacrifice for Jesus when you're with your friends to use his name? When it comes with your friends or your co-workers or your family that you've got to make one of those obedience decisions, are you willing to show the light of Jesus and choose him in front of them, even if it's risky? Do you have a family and friend and work life that's sacrificial? Because that's what we're called to as priests. And finally, if you don't take anything else away from understanding what the sacrificial life is for all of us as priests, listen in on this one. We are called, at the very core of it, to offer ourselves to God. As priests, we are called to offer ourselves to God. Romans 12, verse 1, lays this one out. Right? It's, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pop, proper worship. 
We are to offer, yes, we should offer our time. Yes, we should offer our stuff. Yes, you should tithe. Yes, there are things that we should offer as sacrifices to God and others. But above everything else, God wants us. There's a quote from Augustine. Um, in fact, there's a whole chapter in his book, City of God. You go to Augustine, City of God, fantastic book. You go to book 10, chapter 6, and it's all about sacrifice and a life of sacrifice and what it means to the priesthood and the believer. And here's what he says at the very end, the culmination of it. He says, such is the sacrifice of Christians, that we the many are one body in Christ. Such is the sacrifice that we are one body in Christ. We are in union. He says, this is the sacrifice that we understand, that the church continues to celebrate through the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar, in which it's clear to the church that she herself is offered in the very offering she makes. Think about that. Let me say it again. It is clear that the church herself is offered in the very offering she makes. You see, what God's looking for isn't your stuff. When we tithe, it's not because God needs money. When we give of our time, it's not because God's running out of it. When we give of our service, it's not because God needs extra muscle and extra hands. What God needs is in every offering, you are willing to offer yourself. If you're offering money, but you're not giving your heart, that's not what God wants. As the priests, as we offer sacrifices of our time, if we're doing it without a heart given to God, that's not what he wants. It doesn't matter whether you're sowing grain in the field or you're giving a message up here on Sunday mornings. What God's looking for isn't the type of service, but the way in which it's given. And as priests, we are to offer our hearts to God in everything we do. And let me close with this. That type of thing doesn't sit well in the world. That type of thing may not sit well in today's church, that everything we should do is a sacrifice. Why do I always have to sacrifice? What's in it for me? Well, here's the greatest part about it all. As Christians, as part of the priesthood of all believers, what's in it for you is the greatest thing you could ever get because your portion is Jesus Christ. Your portion as priests isn't land, time, or money. Your portion today is Jesus Christ. When you believe in him and you give him yourself, he's right there to give himself back to you. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your presence that's among us. Lord, thank you for your guidance that's always with us. Lord, thank you for giving us your word Lord, thank you for offering yourself for us so that we can share in your presence, so that the Spirit can be with us and lead us and teach us, so that we have access to you, Lord. God, let that teaching, let your presence, let the Spirit talking be a burden on our lives now that we are aware of the sacrificial life that we have as priests, as Christians, as believers. Lord, let us be aware of those decisions we make in obedience. Lord, let us be aware of the times we need to preach your name to our family. Lord, let us realize the dignity that we have as part of the priesthood of all believers. We ask these things in your name. Amen.